Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. After all the tech and the dongles are connected, we're here and everyone's listening to us. And I'm excited to introduce the guest today. I have so much to say about him. So much to say. Lecturer, public speaker, radio personality. His voice actually sounds better on a mic than mine does. Producer, technologist, mentor. And I got to say, his video game is solid because he actually has three cameras. So if you want to see this, look at it on YouTube. We have it on YouTube. Speaks at Dreamforce. He was actually listed as one of the 19 top marketers to follow in 2019. Hello, CMO of VanillaSoft, Daryl Prale. How are you, sir? Casey, my friend, how are you, lad? Good, good. I almost lost myself in your introduction. That's okay, you know. So much to it. it there's a lot of it. Remember, you have to have context. I'm a marketer. So you always just should be asking yourself how much of that is marketing spin and how much of that is substance, right? So that's the question. There you go. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a little okay with a little, little of each. <laughs> I like it. A good marketer should always have a little bit of each. But yeah, for the most part, everything you've said there is fairly true. So <laughs> all good. Well, we, we talked earlier. No one knows what number out of 19 marketers you are. No, they didn't tell us that. As I was telling you when we, were in the, uh, we did our, our technology test previously, um, my, uh, my, my one son said, yeah, you're probably number 19, Dad. You suck. Probably. <laughs> so yeah, leave thanks. it to your kids to keep you humble. You know what I'm saying? That's it. That's why yeah. we're here. So thank you for coming. The theme for today is around marketing leadership, talking to CMOs, getting the sense on strategy, technology, process, even talking a little bit about careers. But how we love to start this thing off is to smash a myth, some bogus strategy you've been hearing. So here you go. I'm actually going to hand you this. This is Thor's hammer. Thor's hammer. Yes. So get some big gloves that. there. So well, I don't know if you handed, smash for me some kind of strategy or the marketing misconceptions that kind of just trigger you and drive you bonkers the most. Okay. The biggest myth I have, and this is directed especially at my sales peers, my mm -hmm. sales colleagues, and some management colleagues, all right? Marketing is not about picking the right color, nor is it about producing awesome parties at the trade shows, nor is it about press releases. Those are simple tasks we do in the pursuit of what we're mandated to do. And it drives me bonkers when people generalize and say, you know, we do all this other crap. Well, marketing picks out the colors for the lanyards we're going to wear at our next trade show. Drives me Yeah, nuts. they spend the money, right? Yeah. Marketing spends the money. They have no accountability. That kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, Marketing doesn't generate revenue. Marketing doesn't have any accountability for revenue. Marketing is just, you know, they're just parties and press releases. A cost center, right? You just, you just spend the money that we're trying to earn over exactly. here. Exactly. We don't actually understand the product or the service. We don't understand or have any accountability for the revenue. Right. It's, it, we're just, you know, we're just, and, and really, what does marketing do? You know, because right. I don't get like, like you can't measure marketing. This is all part and parcel of the role of marketing. That's a myth drives me around the bend. And the worst part of this is when I hear you say that, mm -hmm. here's the irony. When I hear you say that, my immediate reaction is, you know what? It's not marketing that you're questioning or should be questioning. It's you. 
Because if you don't understand the role of marketing, then look in the mirror, sir. Uh You need to understand the bigger picture of how companies work and how all the, you know, all the pieces on the board, when moved in together, sales, marketing, you know, engineering, et cetera, you know, achieve the mission. It's not just achieved by one individual. I love that. It was a little intense for people listening. I, you, Daryl, you're looking right at me and you're pointing your finger as if I was that sales guy. And I was like, oh, oh, dang, I'm out of here. It's you. Yeah, but, but it's so common that there's that misconception of, of your but, – but didn't we earn that in the old days of marketing? Weren't we, we did. About- we did. And, and you know, here's the, here's the scoop. Honestly, I'm actually pretty forgiving if I see a 25-year-old – I'll use the word kid. Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm older than 25. <laughs> Some 25-year-old kid at a school. A couple years. I have gray hairs. A 25-year-old kid at a school. It's their first job, their first real career job, right? They're not working at McDonald's anymore or Starbucks. Yeah. And, um, and, and maybe they're, for example, in a sales role. Right? I'll just okay. use that. Yep. And, um, or maybe they're in an accounting role, right? And, 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 and they're really excited about their career path. I see this often in sales where they're in a sales role. And, and they think, you know, I hear this often marketing reports to sales, you know, if it wasn't for us, if it wasn't for sales, marketing would have no money. You guys need to do what we tell you to because we're the ones talking to the customers. Um, and, you know, at 25, hey, I get it. You're, you're so wet behind the ears. You, you just haven't had enough life experiences yeah. to Talks figure it all out. You know nothing. Yeah. You know nothing, right? And I say that with all respect because I was 25 too, once upon a time. Yeah. Um, a couple years ago couple years ago, two or three. And, uh, but that's not, that actually is not at all the way it goes. That's my myth. Uh, if you want to explore that, uh, it's over to you, man. If this is your show. This is, oh, oh, well, thank you, sir. Well, thank you. Well, so where did this come from? This was historically the case. And so is like the dot, dot, dot from the myth then, well, this, maybe this used to be the case, but it's not anymore. And, and I also like that part about if you don't know, it's on you now. So it's kind of like, it, there, there, there's a whole different way about doing this. How do you get there, right? How, so I've bumped into marketers who are the cost center. They're, they've been called the print shop for sales, you know? Yes, I love that. The print Can shop I get another brochure, please? Yes, because print is so prevalent today in the sales process. But go <laughs> ahead, exactly. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so what's the fix for that? Or, or oh, what are you fix. doing that has smashed that myth, essentially? Easy, easy fix. Uh, a couple yeah. things. So historically, you know, I, I actually, in fairness, I get why that might have been the perception once upon a time yeah. because we were the print shop, right? And right. the other part was it was really difficult to correlate, to attribute mm. what marketing did in their program spend uh, to revenue. You know, we, you right. know so I'll use the classic, uh, I'll use a B2C example. I'm a B2B marketer, but I'll use a B2C example because everybody gets it. If you drive down the, the expressway and you see a yeah. billboard or the sign with a, a Coke ad or a Nike ad or what have you, um, you know, how, how can you correlate that expense? That might be $1,000 a month. Yeah. You know, what is, what, how did that one billboard contribute to increased revenues, Mr. Marketer? Right. And it's almost impossible to do that. Really so you have a lot of those programs and, and, and there goes the myth of, you know, marketing just spends money and we can't actually hold them accountable because we can't measure their impact. You know, in, in, in press release days, we used to talk about impressions. Right. So, hey, your press release had uh, 100,000 impressions, meaning it appeared in, you know, a variety of publications 
in newspapers and in business journals and was seen, was potentially seen by 100,000 readers. Again, can you equate that to what did that mean in actual new opportunities? Absolutely not. It's intense. Right. Fuzzy math. Uh, fuzzy math. So what's changed? Real simple. Uh, two things have happened. One, uh, in the pursuit of actually trying to always, you know, uh, engage, I like to say, you know, digital marketing specifically and all that in, that entails, whether it be search engine marketing, retargeting, uh, personalization, social media, everything right. online fundamentally. Uh, you know, we need more and more tools. So marketing get tired of waiting historically for the, you know, the IT department or the chief technology officer to tell them what they can and cannot have for applications. And they took forever to do it. And we just started doing it. We just started saying, oh, you know, I need HubSpot. I need a marketing automation platform. Done. I need a landing page platform like Instapage or Unbounce. Subscribe. You know, I need an email platform, MailChimp, Campaign Monitor. Subscribe. Whatever. You know, we started doing it. And because no one else was doing it, pretty soon we were the ones gluing the pieces together and move forward a couple of years. And here we are today, marketing in nine out of 10 organizations owns the technology stack, the sales sure. and marketing stack. Okay, so that gets you respect. The role of the CTO, the role of the IT department, has been greatly diminished. And suddenly at the executive table, it was the marketer where the rest of the uh, execs would look to and say, you know, what do we need to invest in for technology? You know, do we need CRM? We need yeah. to extend the CRM to do customer success or support. It was marketing. So suddenly we were... We were, we were more than just press releases and trade shows. We were, you know, infrastructure. But then that leads to the second evolution. Because we own the infrastructure, now, now I can actually measure everything. So when I do a digital ad, an AdWords spend, or a personalization, or a YouTube video, or a live webinar, or a podcast, I can track everything, UTM codes and all the other wonderful stuff, cookies, and I can actually show you exactly how every single spend I make impacts the mm. pipeline. I can actually yeah. say, you know, that million dollar sale, I could, a uh, quarter million dollars of that sale is easily, if not a whole million, is from me and what I did. Yes, you closed it, sales, so I'm not taking anything away from you. I just got you a marketing qualified lead. But that would never have happened if I hadn't done these campaigns. And mm -hmm. that lead, you know, started from an AdWords spend. They then consumed content piece A, B, and C. They then, you know, checked us out at this trade show. They then signed up for my free trial. All this is marketing. Right. And then after the free trial, you know, or in the free trial, I flipped it over to sales. Mm -hmm. Away you went. You took it over. So that would have happened without me. You'd have no sale because you, Mr. Sales Rep, didn't find it. The other thing we, we saw is a third evolution, which is the buyers getting smarter and smarter and smarter, and they're requiring sales less and less and less. So in the sales funnel, you know, marketing used to have like the top third. And then a few years ago, it was deemed that, you know, marketing had the top half of the funnel because the buyers are waiting longer and longer to talk to sales. And now the belief is marketing has the top two thirds of the funnel. And really the buyers don't want to talk to a rep until they're genuinely in a almost a negotiation stage. Okay, I, I've shortlisted you and one other vendor. Now I'll talk to you and it really it's more of a negotiation while you over them because I've done all my other research and a lot of that research, whether it's social proof like a G2 or Captera or Google reviews or social media like a Reddit or a Facebook or, or a Twitter or LinkedIn and everything I, I've consumed has been fed to me or influenced by the marketing organization.
So now, combination of we own the stack, we're respected at the executive table, and I can measure every damn penny I spent and show you and prove to you the ROI, the world has changed, and that myth no longer applies. Smashed. Done. Completely smashed. You know, I experienced that. I, I experienced it almost from that second, I like the, the evolution the, or revolution of these things that are happening. And, and I didn't even take in consideration the fact that the infrastructure was changing. All I knew is that as a marketer, it was a pain in the freaking yes. to like put in a request, a Jira request to get something changed or, you know, somebody else owned the website. So you, the, the chances of making changes on that were just, oh, it was like dragging. Not Yes. Yeah, dragging along. And, but then as marketing automation and things like that were starting to come over or even just other tools where I could make my own landing pages and not need you, Mr. Coder, pointing at you, Mr. Coder. And you're spot on. I don't need the yeah. coder because the product's mature. Like it's WYSIWYG, right. drag and drop. Right. And then, and then that just – but I also love the connection of once we had the infrastructure and the budget, people are looking at us like, hey, where do you want to spend that? Let's work together. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So now, now, because how it used to be would be like, okay, sales, you need to go hit a million dollars this quarter. And sales return to marketing and say, you know, well, I might need your help on a couple of things. But really, it's, 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 it's sales. Yeah. And now they say, okay, we need to make a million bucks this quarter. Marketing, what can you do? Sales, you know, what do you need? Right. But we all know for most organizations, it starts with marketing. And, 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 you know, look in your own organization. Here's a simple mm -hmm. uh, litmus test. What percentage of your leads that are being worked actively in your sales pipeline are inbound generated, which really means the marketing guys, right? They came in from content, from trade shows, from AdWords, from social media. Mm -hmm. And what percentage are sales generated or outbound where the, the sales rep got their own lists, and they actually started dialing for dollars or sending emails out or touching people on LinkedIn um, to generate those leads. And you'll find in most organizations that the, it is heavily skewed toward inbound, heavily skewed, mm -hmm. like 70, 80, 90% inbound. Uh, not every organization, I'm generalizing, but heavily. And that tells you again how the power has shifted. And I don't mean this maliciously. I'm not trying to infer it's a power struggle. But it used to be marketing was often the 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 uh, the lesser sibling between sales and marketing. Right. And now most organizations that are either equals or actually marketing almost has more power. Really? Uh, really? Or is yeah. that just wherever you go, you're you're the most powerful man in the room? It could be a little bit truth of that because, <laughs> in all honesty, I mean, um, you know, I, I can be a little much for some people. Sure. I fully recognize that. So. I mean, I would a couple probably, minutes in, I've already picked that part you up. You figured that out? Yeah. 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 My wife says <laughs> I got to work on that. So the chances are I wouldn't be sought out by mm. an employer who viewed marketing as the trade show people. They wouldn't even talk to me because I would overwhelm them or scare them. That would be awesome to see though. Right. So really cool. I have had a few of those gigs and in the end, age is a wonderful thing. When I was younger, you go, oh, okay. Okay. That's my job. Okay. No problem. Um, I remember my first, one of my first really, really big gigs, uh, companies. And I, and I moved, changed cities, the whole nine yards. And I show up and I'm like a two weeks into this job. It was a product marketing role. Okay. And then the VP pulled my boss, pulls me aside and this guy recruited me, he paid a lot of money to move the family down and he gave me shit. And I'm, and in what it was, we goes, he goes, you're trying to make leads. That is not your job. If you make a single lead, 
I will fire you. Uh, and I was like, wow, because in his mind, product marketing did not make leads. That was the role of field marketing. Field marketing was owned by the sales organizations. Oh, no. And, and right you then I'm like. The whole family for this position? Yeah. And, that was when I had this out now. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I, I would have been uh, 28, 29 at the time. And at that point in time, I was like, uh, okay, this ain't going to work. And within six months, I had, even though I'd moved there, uh, we agreed to, uh, to sever our relationship. And, uh, and, and I'll, give, I'll give them full marks. He readily acknowledged that he was part of the problem. And so it was a very harmonious split, ironically. Wow. And I went to another uh, startup company, and that was my first VP of marketing role. I was 29 years old. And, uh, and, and then, you know, the beauty of being uh, the head of marketing is that, you know, with the right company again, which, you know, really has changed versus when I was a, a first-time VP, um, you really do have the autonomy now to do it. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, for the very reason why marketing is being respected, because now we have a stack and now we have data, right. they can also hold you accountable, right? Yes. So within six to 12 months, if, if you know, Daryl, you talked a good game in the interview, but now we're watching you and your numbers suck and the leads you're generating are small and they don't convert. And you know what? We like you as a person, but we're firing your story behind. You're out of here. Whereas right. before when you didn't have that accountability, that metrics, you could hide a little longer. So right. pros and cons, be careful what you wish for. That's true. You know, I, I think acknowledging that as long as you don't suck at what you do, or at least you're constantly optimizing, um, I'll take the accountability, you know? Yeah. I well said. I mean, hold me accountable. Yeah. And that's what I always say. And, and I do this with my own employees. You know, I don't, I measure them on outcomes, right? So right, right. I don't measure them on, you know, I, 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 once in a blue moon, I'll simply, because a lot of my employees are remote, I'll slack them and I'll just say, so what you doing? <laughs> and I'm not doing that to say, are you at work? Are you doing anything? That's just me just, you know, reaching out to say, hey, we haven't talked in a while. And, you know, I love you, dude. What's up? Yeah. Um, well, shaking. Was shaking. Let's let's jam. You know, yeah. how's your day going? But um, for me, it's all about outcomes. You know, like I'll say, you know, I need you know X, Y, and Z done by you know these time frames. You good? You can do that. I can do that. Okay. If you're not gonna make those time frames, I need to know so we can go to Plan B. Right. You know? But if I don't hear from you, I'm assuming we're on time. We good? Right. We're good. Okay. Go. We're all big boys and girls. You know, having that sort of results-oriented workplace or results-oriented marketing, it just, it, it just makes everything better, you know? It it's huge. feels good. And also, I think one of the struggles I had as a marketer early on before the accountability was I didn't know what I was, not what I was doing, but what kind of impact am I having? You know, if sales doesn't think I have an impact, I'm not even sure I have an impact. I'm just doing activities. Yes. I have no idea. Not really yes. blows because you want to think you're doing something at work, even if it's selling some IT sprocket, you don't even understand. You're like, at least I'm contributing. So yeah. You're not even sure about that because you're, you're the print shop or your activity. You know, I once had a CEO ask me, how many emails did you send this month? You know, same kind of thing, but it wasn't on Slack. It was like, Hey, how many emails? And it was like, Oh, about a million. He's like, well, next month, a million and a half, you know? Yeah. As, okay. As what's that going to do? I don't know. Right. We're not selling shoes. This is technology here. You know, just going to annoy another half million people, the same people over and over again. Uh, so it, it was, it was really, not only was it awesome for me to start doing the accountability and start having ROI, but it was great because it just felt like I was making a difference for the first time in a long time. 
I had a CEO, just like your CEO, and every time something cool would happen, I, I, he'd come up to me, and he'd be in a wonderful mood, and he'd be like, I smell press release. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, we'll do a press release, sure. But it's like, you know, okay, you know, what are you expecting in this press release, right? But I think, right. I think he just liked seeing his name in print, personally. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah you nailed it. What I love doing, to your point about what's the impact, yeah. is you know, when we close a big deal or a strategic something you know imperative occurs whatever that might be i love figuring out okay so that big deal that closed okay so it, it closed for i don't know i'm making this up a million bucks okay sure um where did the lead come from and mm-hmm. what and what was the campaign how many touch points did they have and then i go back to you know maybe well, again there was an email to your point there's an adword there's an email there's a webinar and then that free and then a trial Okay, so who did the email, who did the webinar, who did the ad work, okay? You know, employee A, employee oh, cool. B, employee C. And go to each of them and say, you, because of you, we were able to close this deal, you know? Wow. If you hadn't done this, you know, and it's just a way of reminding them that you, you may get caught up in the minutia of doing your task, but your task has a longer implication, you know? And I'm just reminding, and I know you intellectually know that, but sometimes you just need to be, reminded that you're making a difference right, right. especially so, in marketing you know yes. sales has the gong right they, they have the gong. have the gong we don't have a gong don't have a gong because con- we'd be constantly hitting it sales so they don't understand oh you close the deal we brought in three thousand leads yes <laughs> gong, gong, right? gong 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 <laughs> yeah, very much yeah. so we don't tend to celebrate those victories so i that's like a huge i, I love that i you know to hear hey casey you know that webinar you did or the email you helped create, yeah, that touched someone who just was that biggest deal you heard sales announcing today. Like, oh, yeah, wow. and uh, it's all it all started with you. It all started yeah. with you, dude. And uh, and that's important because it does. You know, it takes the class of it takes a village to raise a kid. What's well, really no different in 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 business. It takes lots of people to work together uh, to actually achieve the end result. And that's why full circle that myth about you know marketing just picks pretty colors and that's all they do and noise the living crap out of me and that yes that is a myth done done sir done so we're we're done drop the mic we're out of here is that it let's go get beer let's do (laughs) it out of here (laughs) see you later people uh but since i have you and we don't have beer at the ready yeah i did notice that by the way (laughs) oh actually i have two over here i'll just (laughs) drink drink it for me that's good i like that you're you're a giver you're a giver can't tell you can't reach it oh sorry um maybe a couple years that couple decades from now you can energize it over that virtual yes (laughs) virtual beer just doesn't taste as good i don't know yeah yeah i hear you i hear you problems in 20 years yeah so here's the question you know i think it was 20 29 is that when you first became a vp it is so you've been a vp for a couple years a decade or two Do you have, if I would say like a strategy so important, I think people kind of go into the tactics. Sometimes that's the most attractive. Ooh, tell me about this little feature I could use or this little thing. It's like, do you have an overall approach to marketing? Let's say you you came into Villanilla Soft or you just, how do you just approach that? So, I mean, every situation is a a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, I, I used to, when I was a, well, a much younger person, here comes my geekiness. I used to play chess professionally. And so wait, everything wait, wait, I... Professionally? Professionally, yes. That, that means like all of your your salaries 
like you're no like, i didn't know i said chess is not there's no money oh, okay <laughs> unless you're like a world champion so what makes you a pro uh you're you're ranked you're scored right you're playing in real competitions where there's literally uh-huh. rankings going on it's so different to say than poker right you have the poker or the e-games you have to win and go through not as much money as poker what, what not as much money <laughs> uh i was third in my in my in my province or my state and uh and and what it was is i on that moment um when i got to third i could have been much more but i had just had an eight-hour game uh that ended up in a draw <laughs> and what what happened was i went into the game and it was a, a much younger uh opponent and I took them for granted. And, be, and before you knew it, like within, within oh, half yeah. an hour, I was looking to get my butt handed to me quite promptly. And it was, you have that like, oh, sugar. Um, I actually got to pay attention now. Yeah. You, get, you get into the rhythm of just going autopilot because, you know, I had some skills, I had some gifts. Yeah. And, you know, 95 out of 100, I'm going to beat you. Well, they weren't the 95. They were the five. And, um, <laughs> And it was like, oh my. So then the reason why in eight hours, because it took me, you know, it took, I, I, then I started really trying, but I was deep in the hole. And so it took time and every move was well thought out. And I was actually really excited after eight hours to get a draw because I still got points for that as opposed to losing. Um, but I went back to my hotel and I'm like, you know, mentally exhausted. Wow. And, I, and, I, and I'm looking at myself and I'm going, is this what I want to do? Like I, I, I'm, I'm emotionally, physically, mentally spent. I've sat on my butt all day long. Right. And you know, as much as I love the game, this, this isn't for me. So at that point in time, I just, you know, I, I literally, I said, I'm done. I'm not going to be competitive anymore because it's not what I want to do. And that's great. You have that moment, but full circle, I view it all. I view whatever I do when it comes to marketing as a chessboard. I love that. You know, so, you know, if you look at the chessboard, your king and your queen, and you've got your bishops and your knights and your, and your rooks and your pawns, you know, so some pieces are powerful, some pieces are less powerful, but even, even the least powerful piece when moved correctly and put it in the right circumstance can be a very powerful piece. A pawn can become another queen. Wow. Right. So, but you got to move all the pieces together in unison. No one piece on its own will ever win you that game. You have to use pieces together. So to me, marketing is the same way. I have to use a combination of, you know, email and website and social um, and, and, and review sites and, you know, advertising, blah, blah, blah. Now, if I use any one of those pieces on their own or treat them as if they're on their own, you know, they'll take my money, I'll get some results, but if I, if I use them in concert, if I build upon each other, then suddenly the results magnify exponentially. And so what's a really simple example of that? And I will answer your question about strategy. So a simple, oh, this is it right here. Well, it isn't, it isn't. This is almost, you know, the, I haven't answered the big picture, but you know, a strategy to a tactic. So here, right now, we're doing, you know, a podcast. Right. Right? Sounds straightforward. It's, it, this could be one piece of content. Mm-hmm. Or I could do the podcast and I could do some email and social media promotion. Maybe this is, assume this was, I know we're pre recording this, but let's say this was live or right? we were live right, streaming. Right. Sure. I could do email and social media to build hype up. Daryl right. and Casey, go to jam, talk oh about God. marketing. 
what's the biggest myth, right? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. And, and you create emotional investment and, and the, you know, Casey's got his camp and Daryl's got his camp and it's going to be a clash and everybody's taking sides and they're sharing it. Don't miss this clash. Wizard you know, chess. You Today. got it. Yeah. 3D chess on Star Trek. <laughs> so, you know, you create those channels to build mm -hmm. attendance to this event which then has a lot of draw. And then we're at this event, we can be having social chats with our audience real time. Right. Questions from the audience. And now we're, we're connecting emotionally more so, not just with you and I, but with right. all the people who are participating. And then after the fact, you know, we can issue you know, a, a summary post about how this went. We could, of course, post the, this podcast, but then we could also uh, identify a half dozen sound clips of you and I jamming in 30 or 60 second clips that were, mm -hmm. that was profound. And that becomes content to reuse over the next six to 12 months to drive more people back to this registration. And then we give this recording to a kick-ass writer and the kick-ass writer then writes maybe an ebook about what we talked about. Yeah, right. And then they take, you know, all the individual questions that we talked about and each of those become a blog post. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then before you know it, you know, you've taken one piece of content and you've magnified it exponentially and reached, you know, a tenfold population and your street cred and your reputation has grown as has your social media clout score or your, your social selling index on LinkedIn. Um, and now you're deemed more as an influencer because I hung out with the Casey. I hung out with the Casey. I was worthy of paying. Vice versa. Pay, right? So yeah. it, you see how when you move all the pieces together, all those individual tactics, as opposed to just I'm doing one piece, the podcast, right. it magnifies. So when I look at the strategy of when I approach any kind of you know, new gig, like when I came at VanillaSoft, it was literally that. It was like, okay, how much money do I have? And what can I do with that money? And I'm all about being gorilla. If I can do... Um, if I can do something, if I could spend $10 on it and do like, you know, uh, uh, an A plus plus, you know, quality piece, or I could spend $1 on it and get a B plus or an A, mm -hmm. I'll go the B plus or the A. Cause now I have nine more dollars. I like that. Yeah. That I can spend in other places. Right. That I, 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 and, and now I've just stretched it to go far. When I was with vanilla soft, we had a couple things we need to do that I, and this will help you understand. I kind of do this at every single company is I kind of say, okay, what's the category that we plan? Because yep. people always want to categorize you. So they always say, what do you do? They, they don't, they don't ask right. you, you know, what's your product do? What they're really saying is, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you, oh, are you a CRM? Where do you fit? Where in do you head, fit? In my brain. Where do in I? In my fit? brain, exactly. Yeah. That's what they're asking you. So the first thing I figure out is where do we fit? <laughs> right. All right. And and you have two options: either you're gonna fit in a, in a in a defined category, or you're gonna say, "Screw that! I'm brand spanking new. The world has never seen this before. I'm gonna go create my own category." That second half, that's a lot harder. Requires a lot more money. Mm. You can do it, but it you know it takes a lot of time and money. Yeah, probably not so, that one dollar. Yeah, exactly. You got it. So in our case, we said, okay, we're sales engagement. So great. That helps. Now that I know we're sales engagement, from that one understanding, I can go identify all the influencers in the space. They have reach and following. I can understand all the analysts. I can understand all the journalists. I can understand the competition. 
you know? Uh, so now I can create all my sales uh, value propositions. Um, I can understand all the issues, you know, the features and functions, the pain points that, you know, the people who need a solution in that category are experiencing. So that now defines, just by knowing my category, that defines my messaging, that defines my value propositions, everything else. The next thing I look at is, okay, what's the fastest way for me to create, for lack of a better word, notoriety? In other words, um, you need to know Vanilla Soft. You need to know Daryl Prale. You need to know we are awesome. We don't, and I always tell everybody, I don't have to be number one in a category. I don't have to be number two in a category. Number three would be nice. Mm -hmm. But if I'm top five, I'm in a good spot. Because once I'm top five, then I can slowly inch up to four to three to two to one. Right. But if I'm not even in the conversation, then that's a problem. So the whole point of notoriety is making sure that you're in the conversation. So when the influencers and the analysts and the press are saying things like, well, you know, sales engagement, like vendors A, B, C, and Vanilla Soft, well, guess what? They just said my name and they're respected and they get following. So now I'm a trusted player because every single sales cycle starts off with uh, fundamentally in marketing, whatever I do, I'm trying to appeal to a pain my prospect has. They recognize they have that pain and they're looking for solutions. Right. And I want them to hear Vanilla's off and go, oh, I've heard of them. Even if they don't know what we do, they've heard of us. So right. therefore, because they've heard of us, we must be legit. We must be trustworthy. And we immediately get shortlisted. And now they start consuming our content and they sign up and away we go. So for me, yeah. it's about what's my category? Uh, that defines everything I need to do. And then it's like, what's the fastest way for me to create notoriety? So real life story, in the case of Vanilla Soft, we've been around since 2005 and no one knew who the hell oh, we were. Oh, wow, yeah. All right, no one knew who the hell we were. And we, you know, 5,000 users and growing and yet, despite having that audience, no one knows who we are. So, and we were doing so much right, you know, our was social marketing media- Marketing all too vanilla though? Was I, it is, I know, the whole, it's, it's the whole <laughs> vanilla. I know, I, I, people either love the name or they kind of go, eh. And, and that there's no one between, it's very interesting. I've had employees internally say to me, Daryl, please tell me we're changing the name. And I go outside and I have people saying, I love your name. So it's like, okay, you know what? We're just going to ice cream, baby. It's, it's and like, that's why I say I get every single Google alert for Dairy Queen you can imagine. So <laughs> there you go. But that's kind of the strategy. It's really, you know, where do I play? Once I know where I play, then I can ad identify what are the issues so now I can make my content, my inbound marketing play around all those issues. That also influences my product roadmap because if I don't have a solution for all those issues, we need to fix that. That also tells me who I need to connect with as an influencer or as an analyst, as a press, and then I need to actually reach out. Um, and then I need to make sure that you guys know who we are. In VanillaSoft's case, because no one knew who we are, one of the things we did right away was we added me on social media because we're a firm believer that people don't just buy from companies, they buy from people. Yeah. So 100%. while Vanilla Soft was already out there and active on social media and had a good following, um, it's still just a third-party unknown company. There's no relational connection. Whereas now I go, hey, I'm Daryl Prale. I'm with Vanilla Soft. Today we're going to talk about podcasts and how awesome Casey is. Hey. And, you know, the music comes in and, and, and right. you know, people go, wow. And so we went like all in on social. And the reason we went all in on social is because my two of my nearest competitors have each raised close to 
a quarter billion dollars in venture funding. I think I know one of them too. Yes. And I have raised nothing. Wow. So but how do you compete with that? That's, that's the question, right? The how do question. you compete? Yeah. And guess what? On social media, it doesn't matter how much money you raise. Everybody has, I can post anything I want to social True. media for free. So I'd love, I'd love you to challenge one of your competitors to like a sumo wrestling match or something. I'm there, dude, because I have to lose about 20 or 30 pounds. So right now I am a I am ready to sumo wrestle. Yeah, just get some bok choy in that diet, you know? <sighs> but I have to go, uh, I think I'm going keto. I'm gonna give that a go. We'll see everybody yeah. raves about keto. Anyway. Do I do that. Uh, yes. So that's that's kind of how I approach it. Okay. Well, you know what I like about that. First of all, simple. I can get my head wrapped around that. Uh, especially the first part. Where does it fit in my brain? Yes. So true. It's just, and you know, what's funny is the more simple that answer is, the, the easier it goes for the rest of the conversation. Hey, what do you guys do? Sales enablement. Cool. Gotcha. Or if you don't know about the category, you're going to get, you're going to educate it on that. But if you rattle off some like, you know, the elevator speed. Oh, the elevator pitch. Shoot me now. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where that. So no, really, what do you do? I just told you, I don't even know what that was. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, it, but I also see the challenge could be not trying to be everything for everyone. And, and if you are blurry across categories, then you're not really in anything, you know? So you're going to love this because this is, I, I love, I so love what you're saying. Yeah. And if, if you didn't catch what Casey just said, folks, he was really, well, he was owning what you are and what you aren't. So this is what I say to people. And this is the exact same because I'm with you, brother. Right. What I'll say is, uh, I'll start. I'll, I'll start the. Uh, I'll, it's going to get faster and faster. I'll say, do you have a technology stack, like a marketing stack in your house? Well, of course, yeah, we do. Great. I'm going to guess. I'm going to tell me if I'm wrong. You've got marketing automation, mm -hmm. and then you get CRM. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's what we got. So your marketers create an MQL in the marketing automation platform, and then they pass it over to your sales organization who lives in CRM. So marketing's in marketing, sales is in CRM, mm -hmm. right? Yep, that's right. And I said, great. And then you probably have a two-tier sales team. So when you get that MQL, your sales development reps are going to try to sales qualify the MQL. Right. And, and, then, and then they'll pass it over to the account execs or the BDRs, and they're going to actually add it and create the opportunity, add it to the forecast, and they're going to try to close the deal. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yep. Okay, great. So you're normal like everybody else. Guess what? When you do that, uh, stats will say uh, of, those, of those MQLs, you just created Mr. Marketer, 48% of your leads never get touched. If they do reach out to them, they only reach out two times. And every new lead that comes in, it takes them a day and a half to two and a half days to call them. Do you suffer from that? Are you happy with how promptly and how frequently your reps are following up the leads that you spent millions of dollars to create? Oh my gosh, that sucks. You hit my problem, Daryl. That's my issue. Great. I'm in sales engagement. Sales engagement sits between marketing automation and CRM. Marketing makes your MQLs. You, you create that and you hand that over to the sales development rep who does not live in CRM. They live in sales engagement. Oh. They, they sales qualify it. Once the sales qualified it, they hand it over to the account exec who lives in CRM. Every team has the product, the platform that's optimized for their purposes. Oh, that's interesting. where we fit. And then I get really specific. I sell to SMBs. I do not sell to enterprise. Huh. I sell to tech, finance, healthcare, insurance, higher ed. If you're not an SMB, if you're not in that industry, I'm not the right solution for you. Wow. 
And I, and I just put it out there because I don't want to waste my time. Right. I don't want to generate a lead in automotive sales. Right. And that's not a vertical I support. Right. For Chrysler. <laughs> for Chrysler, exactly. Right. So it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't do anything for the prospect. In fact, they get frustrated with us. They do, yeah. And my sales guys get frustrated with me. This lead is irrelevant. Why do we have this lead, Daryl? You're wasting my time. Right. I could have been calling a real lead right now. Right. So own who you are. No, the, not just the category, but who, who you are, what, who you sell to, what industries you play in, the market space. Own it and then, and then, and then just be it. Own who you are. I really like that. Now, it takes cojones to, dis- pick, to decide, right? And to say, nope, this is us. Was yep. there some internal battles to say, no, well, well what about mid-market? Sales will do this too. Well, I would call, they're out of our, our zone, but I'll call them too. And I'll call these guys too. And I'll, I'll call, you know, so it's like, there's that sort of natural tendency to just want to be, to sell to whoever's breathing, you know? There is because that means usually you have the smell of desperation in the air. You're probably not hitting your numbers. And that's why they're looking at anything that a pulse, right? Um, So I guess I answer a couple different ways. I'll say, listen, if an enterprise lead comes to me, we have numerous, numerous enterprise customers. There's not a problem with our product scaling or or solving their problems. That's not a problem at all. Um, So if they come to me, I didn't target them. They came to me. You know, I'll pass it along as long as it's in our verticals. If it's not in our vertical, then that's just a misfit because, you know, right. we're designed for those verticals. Tech, you know, the, the verbiage, the labeling, the process, the workflows, everything else is all, it's designed for those verticals. So, but if, but if you're outside of my, my SMB market, then yeah, I'll, I'll, still, I'll pass them along. But I'm not spending marketing dollars to get that. I'm not doing, you know, a spray and pray. I'm going to really be super focused on my campaigns at my target audience so that those people who I want to mm. know who I am because I'm spending so much money to get in front of them. Right. And I spray and pray. What I'm really doing is diluting the frequency of how often I'm in front of my sweet spot target market because now I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm in different verticals. I'm in different, you know, uh, revenue size and, you know, company size markets. And so I'm actually... I'm actually doing myself a massive disservice. I'm minimizing the impact. You think you're opening yourself up for a broader opportunity, but all you're really doing is reducing the reach to your sweet spot target market. There it is. Reducing that. Who are you? Where did you come from? Why do I care? Take us back to little, little Daryl, you know, little Daryl. I'm really curious, you know, what kind of experiences did you have, you know, in life that, how did you end up in marketing? You know, was that always the plan or, you know, <laughs> you go to school for computer science? I mean, I did that too, but even before that, did you know? So no, uh, little Daryl and a lot of people are going to, are going to mock me right now. And a lot of people are going to laugh at me. A lot of people are also going to go, that was me. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty transparent. Growing up, I was, uh, I was the odd duck out. And I don't mean odd oh. duck, the guy that you know, picks the nose and ate it. I don't mean that. I mean yeah, the- Not that guy. We all not know that, that guy. guy. No, that <laughs> forbid, I'm not that guy. Um, I was, you know, there's every class has one or two or three individuals. It's called, you know, I always use the term loners, right? They're not oh, part of the clique, okay. right? They're the outsider. And that was me. Now, part of that was I was uh, apparently gifted. You know, I came home from school one day in grade one and got off the school bus and go in. I got a, my mom sits me down. She says, uh, I got a call from your principal today. 
and you're, you know, you're grade one. So it's at six years old and you're freaking out going, you know, well, yeah. principal, like, because, you know, the principal is godlike when you're six years old. Yeah. He's the one that, yeah, yeah, he's the guy. Yeah. Yeah. You go, exactly. You go to the principal's office and get disciplined. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, what up? And apparently what had been happening, a couple of things. So when I was young, I had a stuttering problem. I had okay. eight years of speech therapy. Wow. Hear me talk fast now. That's because my stuttering problem was simply a case of my mind was further ahead than my mouth could physically keep up. With you, 100%. Totally. Yeah, right? So the head is on paragraph five, and the mouth's still trying to say the words in paragraph one, and you stutter. But we didn't know that back then, really, for the most part. In those days, the stuttering was that you were a slow student. Right. So grade one, I was, you know, in those days, it's different now, you know, you kind of had the mainstream students, and then you had the any any one classroom. You'd have the mainstream. You'd have the gifted, and you'd have the less gifted. Let's call that. <laughs> All right. Because I stuttered, I was in the less gifted. And the reason the principal called my mom was because apparently what I was doing was I was going around, and I was uh, when I would do my work, and then I'd go to each of the the mainstream and the gifted and help them do their work. <laughs> and they brought me in and they tested me. And what they wanted to do was they actually called my mom to say we think. Daryl should leave grade one and go into grade three right now. Whoa. And, um, and that, and so I was small, I was a oh, bit yeah. of a loner and I was, I guess I was, uh, smarter than the average bear. And that is like the worst thing you want to be. Youngest kid in class too. You want to be the youngest, smallest kid in class who has no social skills. Um, so I was, I was that guy. Right. And, and that's fine. Um, that is, but, what that does as time goes on, and this is, I equate this, this is relevant because this is how I am today. I'm a successful marketer today because I understand people, I think, mm. for the most part. How did I learn to understand people? Right. When you're the loner and you just desperately want to be accepted and not mocked and picked on, mm. you watch them nonstop for years why is danny so popular why is cheryl you know so popular why is scott you know always you know cracking a joke and people are laughing at whatever he says you know why is it i can say something and and they disparage me and then george says the exact same thing and they high five so i watched that mm-hmm. and then when i got to high school and so my case high school started in grade nine and i think to myself this is a chance to reinvent myself and what I didn't understand, life lesson, my first week in, you know, because in high school, you, you go from me and from, you know, I was, I was in school A, now I'm going to high school, which is a roll up of, you know, like five or six schools in, in the district, all in this school. And I'm thinking to myself, I can reinvent myself because these other five or six schools don't know who I am. They don't know. But, but in fact, what happened was all the cool kids talked to all the cool kids from the other schools and they compared notes and my reputation came with me. Oh, so geez. I was immediately chastised. And that was, uh, I'm like, you know, that's very, you look at depression today and whatnot, you can see where it happens, social peers, everything else. Um, fortunately, social media and internet wasn't around back then. So I didn't have that to deal with like, like people do today. Oh yeah. Jeez. Um, so interesting story. You know, when I was, pl- I was playing chess in high school, that was my refuge. I started playing chess in grade God. nine. God. Where do you go on your lunch break? You had an hour to kill. I got into the chess club because I was with a bunch of other like individuals. Right. And, uh, and that's how I got good. And then what they started to do 
is, you know, every day they have your morning announcements and they would say, oh, the team played basketball last night and we won. Oh, we played football last night and we lost. And then I became the captain of the chess club because nobody else wanted it. So I would submit <laughs> chess scores. Oh, and, you know, the school chess team, you know, won. They beat so-and-so at a tournament. The, the other school we hate uh, leading the way was, you know, Susie, Sally, and Daryl. And so in grade nine, I got a lot of grief that I was on the chess club. And it was right. Enough, right. And, but week after week, they'd hear I'd win. By grade 10, it changed from, I, I really didn't get mocked. It would just be, and I think part of this is people mature. So it'd be like, uh, hey, good luck tonight, Daryl. Oh, wow. Early grade 11, then it was like, go, Daryl. Like, go, right? Really? Because I was representing the school spirit, right? So they were celebrating, hey, we rock in football, we rock in basketball, we rock in chess. The school, we rock. You know, it was really school pride. And so I, I became in that area. But I was still a bit of an outcast. But at that moment in time, I'd have enough years, and perhaps it had coincided with my chess, I had enough uh, nominal acceptance that I started being a bit of a smartass, you know, and I would, <laughs> I would quip, I would have a one-liner, and they started laughing. So, you know, from, let's call it halfway through grade 11 to grade 12, I became accepted, liked, I don't know if I'd say popular, but accepted, liked, and, and I was no longer the outcast. So a couple of things that I learned along the way. I learned to study people. Right. I'd learned to hold to your values. I held to my values. You know, I played chess. I don't care what you think. I'm good at it. The people I play with, I like. These are my, this, is, this is my posse. So I stuck to my values despite what others might have said. I didn't, I didn't change to adapt simply to be accepted. Right. Humor. Humor is the universal icebreaker. People will spend time no matter how different you are. You can make me laugh. Humor is wonderful. Yeah. So life lessons learned at a young age. I went to school to be a computer science, a computer programmer, because I got into that in high school. I was good at that. You think about it. Well, if you're good at chess and logic and math and everything else, probabilities, you're going to be good at computers. So I did that. And I actually coded for six or seven years. But by year four, wow. yeah, but by year four, the languages. Uh, oh my gosh. You know, I did a lot. I did C, I did, uh, I did, I, I did COBOL. Okay. So you're not like on punch cards at this point. No, uh, no. <laughs> I did one time in grade nine or 10. We first intro to computers course they had, that was punch cards. And we literally had wow. you know, chalk them out and they'd send them away. And the next week you'd come back and get your answer. That was get it. Your answer. Right. Yeah. 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 You screwed up. You, Hey, you had an error. Um, I did a lot of relational databases, uh, all that kind of stuff. So, um, but by year four, I, I, I was getting antsy. So I'd gone from really liking my job to now it's getting like, you know, I'm staring at the screen all day long. Like, shoot me now. I, right. oh. And so it took me a while to figure out how to get out, you know, where to transition to. And so eventually what I ended up doing was I was really good at one uh, specific piece of database technology. I was really good at it and I was in demand for it. The problem was that database technology um, was falling out of fashion. Which one? What, what kind of database? It was a non-relational database. It was a pick-based database. Jeez. Oh, so, which was very big on the VAX and the VMS, the virtual management systems in the days. Um, and it was a company called Revelation Technologies. So, 
Uh, and it's a freaking powerful, powerful because we non-relational gives you actually a lot more flexibility than relational, but it's a lot harder to do joints and unions and all that kind of stuff. So um, what I ended up doing was I, I realized I, I couldn't leave my coding career because I was in demand. And so what I did was I applied to work at the actual technology vendor. I applied to work at Revelation Technology. Oh, cool. And I thought, because if I go there, everybody knows that product. I'm nobody special now. And, uh, and so I took a job as a sales engineer. So mm -hmm. what that meant was, you know, you'd go into these enterprise accounts and try to sell them on your technology. And, and they would say, well, we have these problems. You know, we need a tool that can do A, B, and C. Daryl would come in because he knew the product. And he would whip something up and show you, look, we can do exactly what you need. Right. All right. And so I became a sales engineer. So that I, I've now left programming but i'm i'm a but i still have to program in my job as a sales engineer and i have to be able to talk to people into the sales process for sure i went to the sales process yeah. so then they were pivoting because that was in the day when finally relational versus non-relational had uh, the battle had been fought in relational one right so they said well you know what so we were a non-relational database we need to pivot and in those days lotus notes was huge <laughs> And elbow collaboration and Lotus Notes, ironically, was a non-relational backend. So they pivoted to uh, take their their product to develop Lotus Notes applications, become a Lotus Notes uh, app development environment. And uh, so they said, "We just want to do, Daryl. We need somebody who can lead the charge of of creating this product for us. And you've already, you know, you know the technology. The customers like you. So they made me. They upgraded me to being a product manager." Hmm. So now I'm doing, you know, product footprint, product roadmap, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward a few months now, the product's ready to go to market. And they said, okay, well, you've done a great job product management. We have to launch it now. So we're going to make you a product marketer. Oh. So now I'm launching the product, right? And, uh, and, and so I launched the product. <sighs> and then my wife and I decided that this, so we're Canadian and this, I was working in the States. That's where they were based out of. Uh, so we were expecting our first child. After much discernment, we decided we would have our child back in Canada. Okay. So we actually moved to Canada and I took all my database experience and my product management and product marketing experience and I actually got a job as a marketing manager at a Canadian database company. Right. That makes sense. And uh, so that was when I was finally forever a marketing manager. And then from there, you become a marketing director, then a marketing VP and so on and so forth. Sure. So, that was how I segued. That was young Daryl, loner, stutterer, uh, not accepted, uh, ostracized, figuring life out, you know, figuring out how people work, being a student of them, uh, figuring out how to connect with people, humor, uh, figuring out what I'm all about. I love technology, I have that, but eventually transitioning into marketing. I had no idea marketing existed when I was a kid or right. what it included. So the underlying theme for me and my career path has been the love of technology. I code it because I like tech. Selling a sales engineer, tech. You know, product management, tech. Product marketing, tech. Market, I'm marketing for a tech. If you, if you don't know your product and your technology, you can't market it. I firmly believe that. So that's why I'm not marketing Coca-Cola or Nike. You know, I'm marketing a technology for a technology company. That's my strength. Right. And you own it. You know, when you shared that story about that, you know, putting the announcements in there that, hey, the chess, the, the, chess, the, the chess team defeated, you know, our rivals across the, exactly. the Nashua North High School, you know, or whoever it was, I, I couldn't help it. That's like marketing. 
right? It's almost like it is your promotion, right? It is in your team. Yeah. On that loudspeaker. Yeah. And even the humor, if I equate it to modern today, you know, what I did in high school to connect on humor is exactly what I do on social media. It's exactly what I do here in podcasts. Um, so all those skills you learn as uh, in your, in your youth and as you figure out who you are, yeah, they're transferable, you know, follow your, you know, people say, follow your passions. I think you have to know who your passions are. I knew I was right. a student of people. I knew I was a student of people because I desperately wanted to be accepted. Right. Connection is just so important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's me. You now have, I, I've never st- shared that story publicly before. You own it. Oh, man. You are, there you go. Well, you know, it's, what's fascinating is that we're, we're all real people, you know, yep. behind the, the Twitter profile and the cool picture on Mount Rainier or wherever you're at. You know, it's like we're all people and we've had experiences. By the way, pretty sure I've guaranteed we would have hung out in high school because uh, uh, I joined the math team to get a boost to my math, to my math grade. Cause I needed it. So I was like, Let's yeah. do it. Let's yeah. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's always that challenge of um, smart or you understand more than what's being presented, but at the same time that socialness as well. And the wanting the connection though is almost universal, you know, it is so true. We all want the same thing, right? We all want to be liked. We all want to be loved. We all want yeah. to be accepted. Um, and it's just, it's a process to get there. You know, I've had, I, I've raised two kids and uh, they're both uh, young adults now in their early 20s. Uh, but I had to go through that all over again with them, except now we have the advent of social media and the internet, right. cyberbullying and everything else. And, uh, you know, I was grateful that I had my life lessons to pull upon to, to share with them. But in the end, it was their walk. You know, I wasn't there with them during the day at school. And my one child was far more successful at being accepted than my other child was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the journey we walk, but I do think my, now that they're both young adults, I think the other child who was less successful actually is far better at picking up on people's nuances because they had to go through that transition. Not unlike me. And I'm not trying to generalize them. If you were super popular and right now you're yelling at me through the speaker and I can't hear you, that, that you understand people. I'm sure you do. I'm totally sure you do. I just think somebody who has been outcast understands people in a different way. Yeah, I, I think, it, you know, it's a sort of the layer be- below that is because you've spent more time intentionally looking at what's happening. Whereas yes. if you're in it and it's working, you maybe not analyze what's going on, right? Yep. You're just, exactly. hey, this is all great. This is all great. But if you're not in it and you're like, but I want to be in it, what are they doing? You know, how, how, yeah. So just picking it apart and really thinking about your thinking on that, on that topic. You nailed it. Yeah. You're smart, Casey. Oh, thanks, sir. Well, last question for you. Um, it's tied it's tied to all these things, so it might even be just be a repeat, but you know, you rose through the ranks. By the way, I love that you tried out different parts of in the company mm-hmm. and and you had a sampling of all these different roles. Yeah, I mean talked about the fact that I've carried a bag, I've been a salesperson, I've been a VP of sales multiple times. Have you? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Which one would you prefer? <laughs> Marketing. I'm where I want to be. Yeah. yeah, and I can tell you why, by the way. It's very straightforward. Yeah. I, it's for me, I, again, it goes back to that chess game. Um, sales is daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly. You know, rinse and repeat. There's the quota, hit it. You got it. It's a new day tomorrow, and we start all over again. You know, shoot me now, please. I got tired of that grind. Mm. In marketing, you know, I'm looking quarterly year or, you know, quarterly 
annually or longer. You know, it is, it's a chess game. I'm playing the long game. Um, so the, the idea that I can, you know, I kind of have more time to move my pieces combined with, I just don't have that constant grind of, uh, of quota over my head. I still am accountable as we talked about early on right. for revenue contribution and influence and everything else. I am a hundred percent, but I don't have a quota in revenues and dollars and cents. And, uh, so for me, uh, th that works better for me. Uh, right. So right. there you go. I, I see that and not to, you know, alienate sales per se, but you know, it, it's very much individualized path. You're following a sales process and you have different people following it, but ideally it's the same process. So I don't want to say it's checkers, but it's not the different pieces altogether as much as it is this rep managing this deal. And can you coach them through this process as opposed to you have all these different kinds of pieces you're moving around, you know, you know, like the sales discipline, not that it's easy. I mean, it's not, it's not easy. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a bitch. And right. it's hard and you get, that's the other thing is rejection. Like, you know, that's another reason why perhaps I gravitate towards marketing and maybe yeah. I'm scarred from my youth, right? Where I was the outcast. So do I want to put myself in a position in sales where I'm being hung up on, ignored, yelled at on a fairly regular basis? Right. Right. No, I, you know, I, okay. I dealt with that enough when I was young. Thank you. Right. I don't want to do it again, but it takes a real special, uh, gifted, personality and mindset and I have so much respect for my sales colleagues who are mm -hmm. good at what they do because when you hear them get on a on a, on a call with somebody yeah you sit back and watch it's like watching a real life drama play out they ask the it's like it the script is so, so powerful, good, right yeah it's so, it's so good. good and you're like you know if I'm watching if I'm if I'm streaming Netflix you're like what's this how's this character going to react right which is the person on the end of that call and it's just amazing to watch them uh, work with the prospect, educate the prospect, overcome objections, you know, get to the root of the issue, understand the influencers, understand the, what's, what, what are the roadblocks are, and just solve, 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 solve. That is, that is, that is an amazing gift. And candidly, I have so much time for those people who have that skill. Now, if you're just one of those telemarketers who wants to go and scam me and move on, you view me as a transaction, I don't have time for you. Totally, totally. You know what, you mentioned that I, I have seen and heard even, especially when like a, the sales leader gets on the call to support their, yeah. their rep and you're just like, wow, the words, they so polished. The words they I know. And if you see them, they're like dressed like, you could tell who dresses, you know, yeah. oh, you're in sales, clearly. Yeah. Um, but, but then the contrast, you know, if that's like a, a great, drama show or amazing movie in the box office that brand new rep or the telemarketer you're talking about it's like watching you know uh ricky lake or some you know jerry springer show you're yes. like oh cringe no stop, don't say those things and yes yeah but yeah mad respect for them but i could see why the, the marketing side just appeals to you it works for me you got the it. question around that is any advice what would you tell yourself at the beginning of your marketing career you know based on what you know now you always oh, have this i know the answer to that journey one. but yeah what would you tell the answer and I, and I had this epiphany moment i just wish i would have had it sooner the <laughs> answer i would tell you at the beginning of your career is trust yourself all right you're not, and it sounds so and like, yeah, whatever, Daryl. Um, no, genuinely, your gut. So you can look at all the data you want to, but learn to listen to your gut. If your gut is telling you this is good or this is bad, I'm not saying you go 100% with your gut, 
data has a very strong role, you know, history and has this work before has a very strong role and your gut can lie to you. So, but don't discount your gut. Your gut is huge. For me, my epiphany moment was that marketing, that database company I got hired at as my first marketing manager job. Right. I was, I was very excited. And the fellow who hired me, wonderful individual, I saw him a handful of times throughout my first year and that was it. And I got so frustrated after about three months in the job with having zero direction and not knowing what to do. And I was this close to quitting. And, uh, and I had my epiphany moment where I said, um, and my gut, you know, kind of told me this, that I was good at my job and I needed to stop waiting for him to tell me what to do. And I, if I'm going to get fired, I'm going to get fired on my terms that I know I did everything possible and I will walk out of that building with my head held high. So since I got tired of waiting to hear from you and responding to emails and you weren't doing it, screw it. I stopped asking and I started spending money and doing programs and generating results. And because my gut said this, you know, the decisions I made, the programs I did were the right things to do. And at the end of my first year, I'm in my annual review and my boss says to me, I know I really wasn't available to you. I apologize. (laughs) You were incredible in that situation. And here's a big freaking fat raise that blew my mind away, right? Because we don't want to let you go. So, So I had so much respect for him because he was strong enough and self-assured enough to say, I dropped the ball. And I'm telling you, I'm acknowledging to you, I dropped the ball. That's huge. Um, and then he rewarded me for good work. Point being there, my gut told me what to do. And I was at a make or break point in, in, in my decision. Your gut plays a role. Every, it could be in your daily basis. Do I, do I use this word or that word in an email? You know, yada, yada, yada. Do I use this color or that color? Whatever it might be. You should listen, learn to listen to your gut. It is an important input into the decision-making process. I love that. Love that. Just listen to it. You got your data and you mentioned, you know, the history, the data, but when your gut says to do something, it told you to be proactive. It told you yeah. not to sit there and, well, I didn't get managed, so I didn't do anything. And then I got fired. Exactly. You're like, no, okay. I, I write my own checks here. Let me see what happens. Right. And my gut said I was good at what I did and I just needed to trust myself. That's what my gut told trust me. Trust yourself. Right. Yeah. So the gut works both ways though, right? The data may say this is all a good thing. Everything about the data may say this is good. Your gut's going, it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Then there's a good chance you're missing something and you need to look a little bit deeper. Oh, That's I like what. that. It's, it kind of highlights may, there's a fact maybe you're not conscious about that maybe you've overlooked. Right. Spend a few more minutes just to think about it, that. You nailed it. And, and you know, in the end, you may ignore your gut and do it and it may be successful. So did that cost you anything? No, it cost you a few extra minutes just to make sure you weren't missing something, right? Right. Yep. So in other times, you may look deeper and go, oh my, <laughs> I didn't have this piece of information. That changes everything. So listen, a gut is, it's one of many inputs. Listen to your gut. Learn to listen to your gut. Love that. Love that. Well, where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? Lots of places, of course. Uh, like every good marketer, I have my website, DarylPrail.com. But candidly, 
You can find me on Twitter or on LinkedIn. I am there all the time. So you can message me, connect with me. I would love to chat, um, especially LinkedIn. I post content nonstop. Um, I'm always having some really exciting times and conversations. I, I have the good fortune to connect with a lot of really smart individuals and debate with them, not unlike what Casey and I are doing Ooh, now. Debate. Yeah, debate, argue. I'm, I'm that guy. I would tune into that. I, I yes. I someone disagreeing with you. I'm not, yeah, I hate when people say the sky is purple and oh. you have a hundred comments and they're going, yeah, preach oh. right I'm on. I hate you. that. I hate that I'm the guy, yeah. I'm the guy that says, well, I'm not convinced it's purple and here's why. So if nothing else, you'll aren't you the party pooper at that point or is that just what we are? Well, if you, it can be, you know, it, you can, uh, and I, I straddle the line sometimes. So I try to make sure I, I'm like, you know, respectfully, here's a different point of view. Right. <laughs> but hey, I could be wrong. Let's debate. Sure. And, um, and for the most part, people clue in that I'm not trying to be the party pooper. I'm just trying to be the guy that, that, that speaks truth. Speaks truth and being authentic and being be yourself. Going yeah, with yeah. Your gut. I'm not looking. And, and, that, and that probably, you've got me psychoanalyzing myself. That probably goes back to when I was, you know, where so many other people want to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're jumping on at people and saying, yeah, yeah, what you said, hoping to be accepted. I'm a guy who lived so many years with not being accepted that now I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not being accepted because there was a time when I wasn't accepted. Got it. So, but I just want to speak. Now, truth. That's a strength because I, I look sometimes at, Hey, here's the next marketing fizzle thing that everyone needs to buy. And I'm like, really, really? really? Exactly. Exactly. Really? I, I, there was a post the other day, a big social a sales influencer. He had a video of a Lamborghini and he's the CEO of a company. And he's like in his post, if you, if you bought our product, you too could earn this Lamborghini someday. And he had all these oh, people on, on like, you know, pylon, way to go, way to go, way to go. Yeah. Woo. And I went in there and all I said was exactly what you said. I said, really? <laughs> if I buy your product, you're oh, inferring. Not just really? I could see just posting really? No, I did really, question mark. And then it just, and just explain it because not everybody picks it up. If I buy your product, you're saying I could earn this Lamborghini. Oh yeah. Now you get them stopped. I let it go. And it was interesting because then we had all these, I had a few other people now jump in cause I broke the ice saying, yeah, kind of what Daryl says. Yeah. I'm not buying it. And then you had a few of the, of their advocates defending them. Of that's, course. That's fine. <laughs> Somebody had to say it. I was the first oh, one broke the ice. <laughs> and it was so funny. Literally nine days later, this influencer writes this long post and it was all titled, um, don't hate the haters. And it went on about you're going to have haters and you're adding value. So uh, more eye in, roll, man. Yeah. In their mind, you know, inferring that if you bought my product, you could earn a Lamborghini was adding value and it was inspiring. That's what, how they viewed it. And at the very end of the post, okay, he's just talking about haters and you know, blah, blah, add value, ignore the haters. At the very end of the post, he says, I appreciate you, Daryl Prale. No, uh, no, I'm not way. kidding you. Yes. No way. So we uh, finally met up like three weeks later at a at an industry show, and and we we sought each other out. It was like you know, face to face, and uh, and he comes to me, he goes, "Hey, Daryl, I'm so and so," and I said, "Oh, I know who you are, and I also know that you appreciate me." And he <laughs> he looked at me, right. and then he started laughing, and then he admitted, he admitted, I tagged you because I wanted to get a reaction from you and, and you know, start a fight on, on social. And what I ended up doing was when I saw that was I ignored it. 
Sometimes certain things are best to let go. He had a total of three comments on that, of which one was him responding to one comment, and the third one was some guy saying, actually, opposing opinions is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> and, uh, and so he tried to bait Jerry Springer. Yep. Tried to and bait you. And you probably to bait had a me. bigger network even than he did. So well, he that was the thing. I went yeah. back. So he had three comments. He had 20 likes. And I went back, uh, you know, about five days later. I just let it go. And it was pain, painful for me. And, and I went and looked at every single one of the likes. And they were all second connections. And they were all very junior. And none of them were my connections. Because they're all seconds, right? And the comments, none. So what was it really a real good life lesson. We never stopped learning life. Was... You know, my connections may not have jumped in for my defense, but nobody commented. So what they chose was not to endorse and encourage it. I'm okay with that. They didn't defend me, but they didn't encourage it because they got to watch for themselves too, right? And I get that in their own street cred. And I thought, isn't that cool? My posse, the people on my community, my tribe, just let that one go. And I'm like, right. On. I was so thrilled. Anyway, long story short, I didn't mean to share it. Those are the challenges with social media. You get all kinds, and, uh, and that's also the fun. So find me there. You'll find me entertaining, hopefully. Totally. Would love to debate with you, but uh, that, do that. LinkedIn, that's the easiest way LinkedIn. for me. I actually sent you a connection because I was going to say is what you don't know is now that you've been on the Hardcore Marketing Show, you know, wh whoever you may want to tag or whatnot, you know, yep. Tresh gets involved, and maybe we just throw down the gauntlet. Let's do it. Let's do I it. Will, I will do that and I will promote it and I'll get my team involved, you know, in, and we're just going to make, we're going to rumble. It's going to be the Casey Darrow clash, you know, just, round two. Well, not us classing. I'm, I'm saying like slaying people who throw out that eye rolling. Ooh, yes. I like it. You and I together tag teaming. I all like that. All of your, your tribe had the good sense not to jump into it and waste their time, but sometimes you just need to. <laughs> I, you got to throw it down. I'm liking it. Brother, you and I, we're there. We're together. That's it. I got you. I got your back. I got you. <laughs> All right, shotgun. <laughs> I like it. Awesome. So, Thanks again for coming on here. I've had a lot of fun. A yeah, lot of fun. Cool. Great questions. Great conversations. So unique. So different. Uh, you really get, you know, into the show. You ask questions that, you know, make people open up. And uh, what I love about that is I'm a, I'm a student of people and, and, and you're making that happen. So hats yeah. off to you, Casey. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. The you know, the caliber of you being here is, is I, don't, I don't even say much at all. You know, for someone who likes to talk, and you know this from your podcast, you don't very, get the chance to talk very much. On, you're always learning and inquiring. So I'm yeah. sure it was fun for you to, to get out here and, and share some. But yeah, thank you for being here. You know, I've got another podcast recording to do in about an hour's time, so I'm just hoping my voice lasts now because yeah, well, you, you've talked me out. Go get some energy. You know, I will get some energy. Sugar-free Red Bull. and. <laughs> So What's why, why bother? Snacks, you know? <laughs> uh, well done, full circle. Bring this, like that? Wrap yeah. this puppy up. Let's do it, man. Well, thanks again. And for everyone else out there, if you learned something on here, and I know you did because I literally have page two pages of notes, and I ran out of paper and I flipped it over to get to the next page, and it was already written on. So I know I learned something. If you learned something, share this with someone, get it to their faces somehow youtube stitcher twitter whatever just so they can learn from this too um really cool really cool daryl thank you so much for being here man no problem anytime all right it's been the hardcore marketing show we'll catch you all next time